Oh, hello, humans. Welcome back to Modern Wisdom. I've been looking forward to this episode for ages. One of my very good, very old-time friends, Christoph, has joined me today. Uh, And we're talking about the world of mental health and the realities of being a world star international DJ. Christoph is supporting Eric Prids on New Year's Eve gigs. He's playing all around the world, multiple international shows, festivals, cream fields, headline slots, support slots for the world's biggest DJs. And he also had one of the biggest tracks of the last 12 months, which was Breathe, featuring Camel Fat and Jem Cook. But the reality of this lifestyle is actually a little bit different. And today we get to hear the other side of the story. Hearing about what it feels like to be an international DJ who lives in airplanes, airports and hotels, essentially in isolation, until they're then thrust into this incredibly energetic, high adrenaline, high paced environment where there's alcohol everywhere, it's chaotic, they've got to play this music and then they need to get themselves back around, sorted, ready for the next flight to go to some new time zone, is pretty eye-opening. It's all well and good saying that some people have it worse, but I challenge anyone to go without sleep for a few days, be in and out of planes, deal with a bunch of hangovers, and try not to semi-lose their mind. And today we really get to hear some very personal stories from Christoph about some times where he's he's not hit rock bottom, but I mean, well, he hit the toiletries aisle of Asda, and you'll find out what I mean by that later on. I found it very encouraging to hear someone who is so well regarded in the DJ world opening up about these sorts of discussions. Obviously, we had the death of Avicii not long ago, and hopefully, if people like Christoph continue to come out and make the DJing world take a little bit more care about mental health, perhaps we can avoid some more tragedies in the future. Hopefully, this will open your eyes as well. If you enjoy the episode, please do not forget to rate us five stars wherever you are listening. It'll only take as long as the intro, and it will make me very happy indeed. Please welcome my good friend, Christoph. managed to get a hold of him. Christoph, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for it. Pleasure to have you on. I've managed to grab you in between flying you around. Have indeed. Sorry for the delay. I know it's we've fun. been trying to get this sorted for uh, a yes. good while now. Yeah, forever. So where have you been recently? Where have I got you from? Uh, America uh, for predominantly the whole of the summer and then the last bit there was America, South America and then straight from there for me last show in Ibiza which was uh, one hell of a journey type of thing but... And we've just so just before we've started, you've had to take a call to sort out India yeah, via flights, Australia, yeah. around the UK for the next few weeks, and then literally go from here to America, back here to India, to New Zealand, to Australia, to Bali, to Australia, <laughs> to back here, and then eventually come home. <laughs> like when I say here, I mean like the UK. Yeah, yeah it's. Uh, should be good. And I'll pretend my sister was away for Christmas, so she was kicking off. Oh, like, you winded everyone up. Yeah, I, I just joke. I'll go back to America for, for New Year and stuff like that. Yeah. So I've got a bit of downtime in December, which I don't know if I want or not. I was going to say, what does it feel like when you slow down now? Because obviously, like the whole dream, a lot of people, there'll be some DJs that are listening, some promoters, other people that know the party world, and they see that 
DJ flying around the world, playing their own tracks, you know, getting paid yeah. to to travel and see all these different places. What does it feel like when you slow down now? Um, to be honest with you, I like my team always make me take time off, and I'm always kind of reluctant to do so. Then towards the end of say the six weeks that you've been on tour or something, you begin to realise that you are running on fumes and it's just the adrenaline getting you through. And I mean, I always look at it this you know yourself through promoting. People pay serious money for DJs. Mm-hmm. People pay serious money to get into clubs and to buy the drinks and things like that, especially in the likes of Ibiza and stuff. So if you were to turn up with what I would class as a face like a smacked arse, do you know what I mean? It's going to... It, it goes out to the crowd and the crowd look back and think he's not fucking arsed about, he's not interested at all. Mm. When really it's just you're a bit tired or stuff. So <clears throat> I always try and be as upbeat as I can when I'm not really one of those DJs who stands there and gives it all the hands in the you're air. You're not a dancer. Nah, no, you're a groover. You're a groover, yeah. not a dancer. Yeah, so I, I, I try and just be there and interact with the promoters, the crowd afterwards and things like that. So as I say, you, you do realise that you are running on adrenaline and on fumes and stuff like that. So you think, right, I'll get back. Then I get home and I can't sleep because of the jet lag. <laughs> I'm really, really bad with it. Oh, yeah. Then I come down with like a flu because of all the... The um, like the uh, being on the planes with the aircon and stuff like that, do you know yeah, what I mean? Course, it's like it's course. really bad for it. So I always come down with some sort of flu, and I get through that. So the past week, that's what I've been battling with. Now I'm still a little bit tired, but I'm fucking bored out my mind, and I, I'm like just trying to hold off from going in the studio. Now I'm just like right, I'm definitely writing a track this week, so I'll probably go in tomorrow mm-hmm. or Friday, mm-hmm. get something done, and I just want to be back on the road again, just like you know what I mean. All my mates are all loved up. I'm sat here single, just twiddling my thumbs on the night time, like fucking hell, it's boring. scrolling through Tinder. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got it yet, but I'm really close. Up, yes. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you used to really be bad with flying? Yeah, mate, terrible. Because I remember terrible. when we went out to Ibiza and you were, I think it was about midday in maybe 2013, something like that, middle of the season, and you were sinking a couple of pints. And I yeah. was like, you're getting on it a little bit early. And your thing was, no, this is just so I can kind of get on the plane yeah. and not feel too uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah I think like the, the whole drinking beforehand used to really relax us and you get to that point where you don't really care that much. Mm. Uh, now it's it's a second nature. I mean, I still do panic when you're going, I don't know, across the Atlantic and you hit major turbulence and stuff like that. But it's, I don't know, I've got this voice in my head which keeps on telling us that the plane's going down and I'm arguing with, and I kind of, Bypass the whole turbulence thing because I'm arguing with a voice in my head. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I mean, it's I, I just realised that it is work. It's what I've got to do to mm-hmm. to climb the ladder and to reach the dreams which I've set myself type of thing. And I'm still not 100% comfortable with it. And I don't think many people are. Mm. It's just something that you have to do. It's very unnatural. Yeah. Like being, being in a plane and yeah. 35,000 feet. Yeah, my doctor years. tells me that all the time. Yeah. Like all the time. He's just like, it's not normal for you to sit on planes for as much as you do for as long as you do as many times a year as you do yeah you know what i mean the pressure on you and things like that but that's the same it's worked i get it so uh, by way of starting a little bit of an origin story for you i think one of the things that i've quite selfishly probably enjoyed about being able to see the trajectory of your career is i got to spend a lot of time with you like 10 years ago yeah. when we were both partying in Newcastle yeah. and we, we were playing gigs together and you've played for some of my v- events uh, just as, you know, little normal local gigs. And then I've seen that trajectory as it's climbed up and climbed up and how you've got to the place that you are now where yeah. you're 
supporting Eric Prids on New Year's Eve and yeah. releasing tracks on his on his record label when 10 years ago you would be talking about him with the same kind of starry-eyed fanboyness that everybody else does. Yes. And seeing that trajectory, seeing you go from being a DJ of which I know hundreds yeah. to being those of which I know like maybe two, maybe you and Patrick Topping yeah. are the only two guys who are even really close to that kind of like. Yeah, there's a few coming out in Newcastle, mate. There's some good ones. I mean, Richie's doing well. Mm. Uh, I don't know him though. Yeah. All yeah. right. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Jackie, Jackie, Jackie Moore yeah, starting doing to get well. there yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. He is, yeah. It's a hot spot, isn't it, for DJ Talent? It is, mate. Yeah. Honestly, like a lot of people are starting to see like what's in the water up in the Northeast. <laughs> and I just say, I'll say the Northeast because there's only two from actually Newcastle. And even though all the rest of them are just Gotta like, oh, yeah. yeah. Sunderland and yeah. Gates. And all them are like, oh, we're from Newcastle. I'm like, no, you fucking not. Stop branding yourself. So, can you just give us a little bit of a... How would you define your career? That would be a good question. Um, I don't really know. I mean, ever since I've been a young kid, I've, I've DJed. My dad was a DJ. My brother was a DJ. So it's kind of been in the family. and It's all I've ever wanted to do. Um, but actually understanding the whole of the industry and how I would get there, I didn't really have a plan. I didn't mm. understand it whatsoever. I mean, we were just sat around and... I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a DJ, that type of crack, do you know what I mean? Everyone's like, oh, of course you are, mate. Mm. And then uh, it actually took, sadly, like one of my friends passing away. Uh, he just died out the blue, had toothache, do you know what I mean? And I think just basically he's took too many um, like painkillers in too short a period of time by accident. Mm. His body's just shut down type of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that just gave me a massive kick up the arse. It's that whole cliche that could happen to anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh and I just was just like, right, the only way I'm going to kind of reach these goals, which you want to, which you've set yourself in life type of thing, is by like learning to produce. Now, I can't play an instrument or anything like that. I just... Still now? Not yeah, even the nah, trumpet? No, nah, I've just, like considered learning the piano because I really do like pianos, but, uh, and you can obviously pass that on in the keyboard and sit there with your MIDI keyboard, but... I find it easy just to draw in on Ableton, on the piano roll, what I want to do. And so I'll just loop certain, like one bars, two bars, four bars, whatever, and start writing my patterns and messing around. And fortunately, I know what kind of works on the dance floor because I've been in that many nightclubs and I go out that much and stuff like that. And I know exactly what I want to make for what time in the night and things like that. And just went from there, really. So your foundation as a club DJ playing like high volume, yeah. lot of nights, a lot of like time under tension. Yes. That has created a good base. Yeah, without a doubt, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, for DJing alone, some of the, the nights that I used to, to, when I worked for you guys type of thing, I'll be DJing for six hours from 10 to four or whatever like that, or five hours, 10 to three or nine to three, whatever it was. Um, and that has taught me a lot what I need to know, reading a crowd, seeing what's going on, seeing what to play, doing your homework on it and making your like set sound different to anybody else out there. You know what I mean? Like homing in on certain areas and things. I mean, Newcastle has been a city where predominantly it's been, when I've been around, it's been R&B, pop music, which has been the big sound. Mm-hmm. But there was a huge surge of house music, that funky house stuff, which comes through. Yeah, like like the head candy style and everything like that. And every DJ in town was playing that. And at that moment in time, I was thinking, fucking hell, like there's 
big competition out there because mm. at one point I was literally the only DJ in town who was playing house music. So then you've got to kind of look at it and think, right, what's working? How can I get myself some promos? How can I make my set different to theirs and stuff like that? So that's when you start looking at making like a, a bootleg, a mashup type of thing and, and going from there. But yeah, like the, I would say without a doubt that the whole long set thing, working for five, six hours has really honed in on, on the DJ side of things and helped you, like helped me become a lot better at it type of thing and mm. reading a crowd more. Yeah, so <clears throat> there's a, a guy called James Smith who's a, a famous online PT now. Yeah. And he talks a lot about the fact that he cut his teeth doing like 10,000 hours of on-floor PT. Right. And he's now transitioned that and his abilities that he's learned doing like the grunt work yeah. of just normal everyday stuff. And now he's distilled that down. And it's kind of the same for yourself, yeah, right? Of like, course, yeah. You know, if you can play the Tup Tup Palace on a Friday in the middle of December with 150 people in yeah. there, like what's Creamfield's main stage? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it's, <laughs> it's like, like some extreme Baptism of fire. Yeah, um, right, it is. So one of the things that you touched on there, which... There's a few elements of your career that I absolutely love, and again, I've had this weird voyeuristic ability to see it so close up, yeah. which is which is rare. So I'm taking the opportunity to kind of <laughs> to, to indulge myself a little bit. One of the things I really enjoyed, although it was a fucking nightmare for me at the time as a as a promoter, is that you would never compromise your sets. No, and I don't want any DJs that are listening. If you don't play for me follow that way if you do play for me do not fucking listen to him please because it's a nightmare but one of my favourite stories of ours is when we played in Ibiza so we took you out to Ibiza twice I think yeah. we actually gave you your first ever gig in space do you remember was, upstairs yeah. in the terrace yeah was yeah so when we I walked did, off yeah. on the terrace <laughs> that was the second time that the second? So, so the terrace was when you when you finished Oh, um, it was in like that little small room. Yeah, that yeah. was upstairs in the yeah. Terezza thing. Yeah. Um, and then the second time we played a, a big boat party and the after party was in Amnesia's Terrace. Yes. In the main terrace room. <laughs> but the way that it worked, like typically anyone who's ever been to Ibiza, 10 o'clock at night in Ibiza is a ghost town. Yeah. No one's there. It's like the, the cleaners and the, the like roadie techs. Mm -hmm. But what happened was you had these 10 boats, each filled with like 200 people. Yeah. And they'd all been steaming from... 6 p.m. roll straight into the club and they'd just fill this room. So very bizarrely, your opening set was like a, a, a 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m. It had mm -hmm. to really be hard hitting straight away. And uh, anyway, I was like, right, fine. Had you and someone else and someone else lined up to play this thing. And um, this room starts filling up and filling up. And I'm like, sweet, he's playing his vibe. That's cool. And one of the guys comes over, the promoter comes over and says, uh, we're going to have to get him to, to like step it up Speed a bit. Up, so I, yeah. I give, give you a nudge and you're like, oh, yeah, fine. Like the way that you do when you DJ in an iPhone. And I know how far I could push you as well. After a couple of years of work, I was like, back off a bit. And uh, then sure enough, like three minutes later, because they're expecting like, you know, big house. This is yes. 2012. They're expecting like Swedish House Mafia and stuff like yeah. that. And they come over and it's like, no, he, he's still not pushing it enough. And I was like, right, come back over, nudge you again. Same thing happens. Nudge you a third time. And you were just like, right, fuck it. The next guy can come on. I don't, I'm not bothered. Yeah. And I was like, that was probably first time in Amnesia, playing Amnesia yeah, as well, was, yeah. on the terrace. 2,500 people losing their shit. They're all hammered, like perfect crowd. And rather than you delve into your crate somewhere to pick out some bangers that you probably would have had floating around yeah, that yeah. you could have played from back in the day, your yeah. thing was, no, I'll just, I'll walk off. Yeah. And I just put someone else on. Yeah. My favourite story. <laughs> yeah. Like this... It sounds stupid, but there's always a reason for it. 
And I'm thinking of the future. I'm thinking of the bigger picture. Now, then we're wanting to push it to, I don't know, say the BPM up to 132. I would have been at 122, 123. Do you know what I mean? So the jump up there, you've got to remember that there's other DJs to come on who are the headliners of that club who will be coming on from, say, 1, 2 in the morning. Now, if them step into the booth and the kid who's on before them, this little unknown shitbag is playing at 132, they're going to be like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Kick off, complain, and they're going to come at you to tell you to slow it down. Do you know what I mean? And in my world, those are the guys who I want to meet. So if, I always, if I've always like started on a bad foot with them and then remember me for the kid who was playing too fast and was playing a load of shit, instead of playing a warm-up set for them, you're already going to be someone who they don't really want to associate with. Do you know what I mean? And it was a brand new world out there to me, what I was trying to get into. And I was just thinking, think about the like the long run. This is just a, like a, a little warm-up gig to a bunch of kids who are off the fucking head. Do you know what I mean? Them aren't going to remember you. Yeah. So I'm a, I remember and the guy come across to me at the barn was just like, look, I'm sorry for saying, I said, look, you've got a club to run, but I've also got a career to start. And he bought me a shot and I said, I'll guarantee I'll be back to headline your club. And I think it was maybe the year after, the year after that, I'd done it with Defected. Went back and you stood there and I said, I told you I'd be back. Well, I just like fully like believed that that's what I would do. Do you know what I mean? And it's kind of that, like the whole believing in yourself. And I knew that was like the big picture and I knew that was my aim and I knew what I was going to be doing and I wouldn't jeopardise it by playing fucking show me love or something like that, that. Yeah. It would have went off, and I'm yeah. sure the kid who come on after us—that was your first song. Yeah, like and the, the whole place went off, and mm-hmm. I, all right, I could have played that, but at that doing that could have also jeopardised whatever the whole plans were. Could have fucked it up. You know I think I, mean? uh, I think Nathan Williams actually played a Backstreet Boys remix, a Deep House, a, a, a Big House Backstreet Boys <laughs> remix. Back. All right, I think that's when I left him when it comes to road to privilege. Yeah. Out, not yeah. only do you walk out of the booth, you walked out of the club. Yeah. That's what happens when you play Backstreet Boys. Really, yeah, isn't it? But yeah, like, so even going back, like, again, indulging myself further about some good memories. Do you remember when we went to Lane 7 for Michael's birthday and Pete Tong played your track on Radio 1 on the evening ah, time for the yeah. first time ever when we yeah. were in your old BM? Yeah. Man, like, these sorts of things, like, because even then, like, was that would that have been, like, maybe Pepsi or Big H or something like that? Would have that been even before that time? That sort of a was it not Guffers or Guffers, something? Probably no, was Guffers, Guffers or Shelter or something. Yeah. Like that. So what? Well, other ones that started getting on the radio. Probably your first first yeah. real big track. Yeah. But this still at that stage, you were still like essentially like a local level yeah, yeah. DJ. Yeah, yeah. So how do you get from being a guy who once has Pete Tong play a track on a Friday? When how what happens between that point and? Flying around, literally spending your life on planes, playing the biggest gigs on the planet. <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. I think a lot of it is being in the right place at the right time, and I do, th- I do think that. Uh, I mean, with the, with the right sound as well. Yes, I mean, like my sound has changed a lot since those days, but I've always known what I was doing, and I was always making more of this progressive melodic sound. Um, and it wasn't really getting anywhere because it's such a niche market. So I realised that, right, what I've got to do was kind of delve into the more techier stuff, which is really bubbling. It's getting all the big crowds and what everyone's starting to play. Maybe make a few hits in that to create a base following 
and then start going slowly back to them on the side and bringing them in. That was the whole kind of business plan type of thing that I had. It in worked my head. really well because there was it a period did. where you were quite tightly tied in the hot since '82. Right? Was yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. I still am a huge fan of Daly, and uh, I ended up signing with with the same manager as him and stuff like that. But again, they just didn't fully get the whole progressive vibe. And that's fair enough, do you know what I mean? I don't know if they didn't enjoy it or, or, or what, I don't know, but it was kind of like all of a sudden Eric stu- like stumbled across Katsy. Is that it, the song? Yeah, and that was um, the last track on 8-track, which I'd done for Daily, which is like this conceptual album project that we'd done. Mm-hmm. And Eric had played that on his Epic Radio show. Was, was, that his, was that on his podcast, was it? Yeah, really? and I'd seen it. Someone had said something, so I'd seen it. And I was in America at the time, and I was actually meant to play LA. And on the flight on the way over, the gig got cancelled because the week before there was a fight in the club. So I got there, and the promoter said the gig's off. So I had a few drinks with the promoter, then flew off, and it was two and a half weeks late. I was still in America, playing my last show in Chicago on the Saturday night. And Eric was actually doing two like charity shows for a guy called James Lilo or Lilo who passed away. Um, and he was doing them at the club I was meant to be playing in LA. Mm. Now on the first one, by all accounts, the guy who was on before him played all Eric's tracks, which <laughs> you just don't fucking do. So he was pissed off about that. This guy who manages the club sound in LA contacted my manager at the time. He said, look, does Chris want to fly back and warm up for Eric? We all know he's a big Eric fan. So they rang and they said, look, You've got to pay for your own flight across to LA from Chicago, then a new one home from LA. You've got to pay for your own accommodation, but you do get the warm-up for your hero. I said, no, it is. I may never, ever get that opportunity again. So when across played, and I ended on Katsy, and he turned around to Rene, his tour manager, and said, for fuck's sake, I wanted to play this track. And Rene was like, that's Chris. And then, <laughs> fuck you. So me and Eric started talking. Eric was like, get my number off Rene. We've got things to discuss about. And then the next day they rang up and said, right, we want them to play Epic Five. And then it just went from fucking zero to a hundred, like overnight. And I was like, what's going on? So like... What does it feel like? So, because I don't don't think that we can really convey to the listeners just how big of a fan you were of Eric Prince. Still are. Like, wasn't it that you, like... You tell me a story like after parties, your mates would take the piss out of you for talking about how fanboy you were yeah. about it. Oh, yeah, completely. And back at those parties, I started saying things to wind them up, like saying, Oh, yeah, I'll play with Eric Prince, you know what I mean? Like just to get them a bite mm. when they were pissed, you know what I mean? Like, shut up and like just like lads banter type of thing. But yeah, mate, I remember once we were at a party and I was sat there and I said, Would anyone come to Creamfields? And everyone was like, Yeah, yeah. So I sat and bought four uh, Creamfields tickets. Said, right, you come to Creamfields tomorrow. Fucking, we're going to watch Prids. That's all we're doing. We're just driving down. I remember that. You just Prids. saw him and yeah. then. Watching Prids, we're just stood in his tent all day. Watch Jeremy Orlander, Yoris Fawn, Mia Jane Coles, Eric come on, finish, walk straight back to the car and drove straight back home. It was like the, the yeah, that it got rained off on the Sunday. The whole campsite flooded. It was fucking pissing down there, <laughs> freezing cold. We got Ross Walton to drive, so he come down, had a few drinks, cool and then word. from about five or six in the night, just stopped Stop drinking, drinking and just ate hot dogs all the way till it was like <laughs> eleven that night. And then we're like, right, we're off. Bye, Bye Ross. Home. Yeah, cheers, mate. Time to drive. But hope you had a good night. He's like, oh. but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I would follow him everywhere, everywhere, everywhere I could. I would go and see him. Uh, and just constantly just 
listen, like listen to his music non-stop, like non-stop. Nothing else would ever, ever. Does it still now? So, I mean, how long have you been working in collaboration with Eric now? It's just over two years. Okay. When you get a text off him, because I think we were in, we were somewhere in Newcastle and you were like, I think he texted you. Yeah. What happens when you see the name Eric Prince pop up on your phone? Do you still go like... Pop. Yeah, you get like a, it's a weird butterfly feeling and at one point I think fuck me, he's just going to go, right, I've had enough, you're off. Oh, the joke's <laughs> over, mate, actually, yeah. your music shit. See yeah, you later on. Yeah, pretty much so. And then the others, it's just like fucking hell, I think... Actually some, happening. Yeah, he's turned into one of my good friends type of thing on top of like working alongside him. Uh, so it's more often than not, it's just stupid banter between us. Yeah, because like, I mean, we've been touring a hell of a lot together this summer. Mm. Uh, so he'll like say, for instance, we've just been up to Sweden, which was amazing to see him in his hometown with all his mm. own friends and everything like that. And How big was the club? Mate, we, the, we played this place called F12. And I'd, he's actually done a track called F12 and I've seen interviews with him and he says, like, if any, if the last club you would ever want to play, and he always says F12, so I was thinking this is going to be fucking mint, this club. Mm. I expect it to be small, like underground, things like that. Mate, it's steps outside of a building. That's what it is. That's the club. It's the strangest fucking thing I've ever <laughs> been in. Like, we had it come, so imagine like an old... Trying like a government building. Okay. Yeah. So we were inside. There's a bar inside in a little club downstairs, but the DJ booth in there is like at the end of the bar. So I'm trying to think of a club in town which used to would would have had that kind of same setup. It's just a pair of decks at the end of a bar. <laughs> so we were outside and literally honestly, mate, there was a window there and there's some stairs leading up and you have to climb out. And you climbed out. And you were in between people's legs who were dancing on a windowsill. You had to tap them out the way, climb out of there, edge along a windowsill and jump into the DJ booth to play. And there was just two sets of stairs coming up and two sets of sides, uh, stairs either side. And those bars at the top of the end. How just, big is it? Mate, I would have probably said, I thought it was about 200 people, right? But they were just like, nah, there was about four, 500 there. But I was like, <laughs> there must have been a canny few stood on that windowsill. Yeah. Mate, oh, just people just standing there, dancing on the stairs. It two was stepping, strange. laterally two but stepping. I, mate, the atmosphere was unreal. So we got hammered there <laughs> and I flew back to London to play London and then flew back to Gothenburg, met him in Gothenburg and he just like drinking. Kept going. And uh, so we played Gothenburg and had a great laugh there and... He woke up the next day and I think he was a bit hungover and he took a picture of the bar and he was going, can't stop, yeah, what's it, can't stop, won't stop or something like that. And then he was like, oost, oost. And then he took a picture of the bar and I was just in hysterics and he just keeps on, because I was laughing at him, he keeps on doing it whenever we've been playing a few gigs, he'll take a picture and he's like, mate, I need a, like a hair of the dog type yeah. of thing. And he he gets to go again. Yeah. And he's, he just cracks me up and he's a funny bastard, mate, he really is. That's awesome, man. Yeah. I mean, again, like, <clears throat> to see someone that I care about get to live their dream out with, you know, it's such a perfect storm, it yeah. seems to me. Like, I remember that uh, in White Room's bootleg that you did yeah. a decade ago. Uh-huh. And, like, it was mint. But, you know, like, to go from that, from, like, just fucking about with stems and remixing yeah. tracks to this is a, a, real, a real testament to the way you were. And, again... To kind of, for DJs or artists that are listening, one of the things that I think I've noticed that defines what you've done is you've always stuck to your guns with regards to what um, route you've been going in. You haven't compromised on that. And then the other thing has been your work rate. Like I remember 
an obsessive level of sort of work even back in the day yeah. like when you'd have gone to an after party and then woken up the next day and if it was at yours everyone would still be downstairs partying but you'd be upstairs just yeah. cracking cracking still, on making still tracks. exactly the same is it? yeah I try and do at least one track a week and if I don't or something with a track if I don't actually do a full track Edit, do you know what I mean like, exactly and... yeah and if I don't I really get up myself and like say to myself like you're throwing a huge opportunity away you're being lazy type of thing which I don't think is maybe the healthiest of attitudes to have mm. but it works for me and it gives us a it kick up the tracks out yeah it, kick, it gives us a kick up the horse some of them are shite and I'll just be like alright it's thrown in the bin but I don't dwell on something for too long mm. I know a lot of producers out there and I, like, I get sent a hell of a lot of music and I reply to every single person who sends us a track, which is also very time consuming. <laughs> and we also have got quite a bit of time on. Oh, mate, that's what that's what I say like to them. That. Like I say, look, make sure it's a streamable link because when I'm sat in an airport, I've got nothing else to do. I travel on my own. Mm. I haven't got a tour manager. I do everything on my own. So what else am I going to do? Do you know what I mean? Sit there and do fuck all. Do you know Tinder, what I mean? Tinder, Tinder, Tinder. You could, you could, <laughs> you could have Tinder for Tinder or you something. Could have you Tinder like. everywhere around, <laughs> and then once you've been everywhere once, when you go back and it's like in your area again, you can see your matches. Yeah, It'll be great. I've got absolutely no idea how Tinder works, <laughs> but I'll talk to you after this. <laughs> fine. We'll do we'll do a tutorial after this. Yeah, one. But now I am. Yeah, so I get I get sent a lot, mate, and I go through everything, and you know, like I try and. Tell everyone, like, because a lot of them are, what would you change? What would you do? And I say, like, I, if I'm telling you what I would do, it then starts becoming my track. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's You've got to believe in yourself and you've got to do what you do. And don't sit there because what ends up happening, they just throw the kitchen sink at it. And it's just, you put too much into it. And it's that old saying, less is more. Definitely and, a definitely a character characterization of, of your music, I think. Yeah. Um, and certainly... That more melodic sound, which you're right, there was there was that period where you had a little bit more sort of driving stuff. Yeah, I guess you'd be able to say. Mm. Um, and but the, I knew there was always that bit in the back of your mind that was like you just wanted to get straight back into the the melodies yeah. and, and those kind yeah. of like really ethereal kind of epic yeah. like hands. Well, what I'm trying sounds. to do at this moment is bridge them together, so I've got the drive, and because I find some progressive too floaty. Yeah. And it's just standing there, and I know for a fact it's not what people are wanting at two in the morning. You know what I mean? It's mm. just kind of like it's great for a pool party. Oh, three yeah, in the exactly. Or like yeah. through the day and stuff like that. I love it. Drive mm. around listening to it all the time. If I haven't got hot eighties or something like that, on. <laughs> mate, massive fan. <laughs> love it. <laughs> but uh, I haven't got that on, you know. But like when I'm in a club, I want to hear something like makes you music. move. I like definitely, mate. Heads down. And the the melodic side of it is what ca- like captures the emotion. Mm-hmm. So when people are stood there and the breakdowns, all this euphoric thing, you know what I mean? That's what, and you'll start seeing them with their eyes closed and all. It's like, that's what you're aiming to get. And that's why people leave and they'll remember those records type of thing. They're not going to remember something which has just got a sub-boom bass, like a sub-bass, like written in sub-boom bass or a sub-bass type yeah. of thing with a, a two-minute snare roll, do you know what I mean? They're not going to remember that, mm. not at all, because everything just sounds the same. So you've got to kind of, like, make this really catchy melody or this huge breakdown. Which and that's what gives the experience to people exactly, as well. Yeah. Like, and that's what I want to hear when I'm on the dance floor. So mm. I'm kind of You right. play for yourself. Exactly. You're quite selfishly, I suppose. <laughs> I <brought that. laughs> it's just as well that you're not into, like, like ska punk or something <laughs> yeah, like that. You'd be playing some really terrible <laughs> music. 
Um, out of all of the tracks that you've seen played mm-hmm. live, what's the one that's made people get the most emotional, yours or someone else's? Any memories um, that come to mind in particular of periods where people have fully lost their shit? I dropped um, Spectra's remix of uh, what's Mystery Mystery Land, which is on Kevin and Perry, <laughs> and it's like an old trance track. Mm. It's stunning, mate. And this is like a proper techno version of it. And I've seen some people like fuck because I think it just rem- reminds them of Kevin and Perry type yeah, okay, of thing. Okay. That's always the one which hits home. Um, Opus must do yeah, do, do bits I, live. It it does, mate. It really does. You see, some I seen someone actually get down and, and get engaged at Creamfields. Oh my god, fucking serious, mate. I was like, I don't know if it's hit as that hard. <laughs> but, uh, this song's gonna last ten minutes, mate. That engagement's yeah. for the rest of your life. I I I, I don't know, mate. Maceo does some. Like some crackers, do you know what I mean? Like that uh, under the sheets, that always gets people going when you just drop that last track of the uh, last track of the night. Yeah, but I think that's more aimed towards the couples as if they really, like get home. It's like, just like sex in a track, really, isn't it? It's unbelievable that record, man. Quality. So you mentioned that you don't have a tour manager. No, actually, what, what's the reason for that? Um, I'm not in desperate need for one. Well, I haven't been mm. until recently, mm-hmm. and now the longer they are the more you actually need that human interaction. Because how, much is a, how much is a tour manager a friend that's just there with you? Is that a significant part of the um, role, just to be contact? Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of a tour manager is someone who deals, they'll deal with your flights, they'll deal with any complications with the flights, delays, um, like cancellations, anything like that. They'll deal with the driver picking you up, they'll drive, like they'll deal with all the hotels, like checking in, checking out, things like that. They'll deal with the promoters, so you are just fully in the music game. That's all you're just thinking of about your set, what you're going to play and things like that. And even when you get to the club, your tour manager will go up to the decks and queue everything up with your USB. You don't tell them what track you're going to start with. That's what I've seen them do type of thing. So that's what I'm guessing is their job. It's not something I've really looked into. I've got a bunch of friends who want to do it, trusting them to do it. Is a completely sounds like, different sounds like a question. Good, I was going to say, I know um, some of your friends, mate, and I, exactly. uh, I don't know if they'd be there. One of the whole issues is I don't know how much I would trust us two together. Do you know what I mean? So by not we'll just be them like, there, I'll, you're I'll insulating be, I'll be employing like someone to come party with us. That's what I would essentially be doing. Because none of them are like massively clued up in the music world, which is fair enough. I don't expect them to be. Mm. It would be the company that I'm paying for. Mm. Now, that's when you're asking how much that is just something between you and them mm. I guess you can set up and give them a salary mm-hmm. and out of that them have got to get their own travel yeah. or you give them certain amount per tour and you just employ them per tours I, th- I think there's a lot of different ways you can work with a tour manager I've seen people just use them for certain areas of the world mm-hmm. like Patrick's got Morgan Morgan Bennett uh, and I think he actually started off just like the long ones, the the ones over in America, but by all accounts, I'm sure he's doing a lot of them with mm. them now. You've got to be with someone who you get on with because you're basically living in each other's pockets apart from when you're in the hotel room. Now, that's another reason why I won't want to sit in a hotel room on my own. It's like a real issue of going out and getting out. And if you've been partying and you've been drinking and you've got late nights, it becomes harder to leave the room, even if it's just to go to the gym or downstairs to the restaurant. Why? So it's just kind of, I've got this thing, and I've always had it where it's like a self-confidence thing, which is quite strange in the job that I do. 
but you think that everyone's staring at you and like you're sitting down on your own and you think that everyone's talking about you and you go into the gym on your own and you think so you go out shopping and things like that so if it gets to a point where I'm not feeling mentally strong I'll just use like room service and just mm. sit in the room and I'm you can already, be insulated yeah, uh-huh. and then once <clears throat> you've done that for two days and you're just locked in the, the like essentially those walls and then you're going through security in an airport and onto a plane and then back to another hotel and then the only time you're leaving it is to go and get pissed while you're DJing type of thing it then becomes a, a really weird like like situation type of thing and you, if you were with someone you'd be like oh well let's go out and we'll go go and to the shops or we'll go out for some food or something like that and you've got each other to, to vibe off and you don't realise your surroundings as much one thing I've been thinking of recently so I spend a lot of time on my own as well yeah um, and I think that as humans we desire conversation we desire not conversation we desire a dialogue yeah. with an, an interaction with other people other things um, and one of the things that I've thought of recently is if you're not around other people, I think the dialogue begins to just continue inside of your own yeah. head. Oh, yeah. And I certainly feel when I spend too much time in solitude that that um, inner dialogue starts to turn up. Like yeah. the loudness oh, starts to turn yeah, up a little completely, bit. Yeah, completely, completely. I mean, I've, I've always talked to myself, to be honest oh, with yeah. you, mate. Uh, but I know exactly what you mean. I live alone. I travel alone. So it is a lonely life out there and I don't think people realise that side of it because they'll just look on and they'll think oh he's flying around the world he gets to see everywhere you see nothing because you get in somewhere and you'll get some food you'll try and get an hour's sleep because you know you're going to be DJing till four or five in the morning more than likely on to an after party and DJing there till nine ten in the morning then you think shit I've got a flight in an hour or two so you've got to get back to the hotel pack your suitcase straight on so no sleep you'll grab an hour on the flight You'll get into somewhere, you'll meet the promoter, you'll organise him, you'll get another hour in bed, you've got to get up, you sort your music, and then you're on to the next one. And when that's four or five days in a row, mate, it's hard to keep control of your of your mind and your thoughts and stuff like that. And it's just, it can't get away from you, but it's not all as glamorous as everyone thinks it is, do you know what I mean? But you'll, there'll be people out there will be like, well, you don't need to go to an after party. My mum says that all the time. You don't need to go there, you don't need to, but... When you're in there and the adrenaline's rushing and you've had such a good gig and you look out and so many people have bought a ticket to come and see you and they want to meet you and they want to come and party with you and they want to get to know you and you get interested inside of their lives and what it's like where you are, you know, like in Argentina or Chile or Brazil or Colombia or whatever like that. It's a completely different way of life down there and it's, it is interesting to see how they go on and down, especially down that side of the world, like music is their release from their life type of thing. Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's it, the apps the the coming the thousands to gigs and everything's sold out and they're just complete. They're the maddest crowd in the world. It's unbelievable <laughs> down there. Honestly, like I keep on coming back and convincing myself that I'm going to end up buying somewhere in Argentina and just having a house down there. But when you get there and you're playing in the winter down there, you're fucking hell, it's absolutely freezing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe used to it from being up here. Yeah. Oh, I. So you, you've you've touched on there the fact that DJing's maybe not as glamorous as, as everyone thinks. Uh-huh. It's might, maybe not quite as rosy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, was it last year that we had Tim Berg Avicii passed away? Yeah. Was it the year before? Last year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been his one year anniversary this year. Or was it his two? I don't know. Uh, yeah. I no, think- it was last year, I'm sure. Because... Um, like my tour, well, not tour manager, my itinerary guy, Rene's tour, uh, Eric's tour manager, Rene, 
He's worked with Tim in the past, and I know Eric's was was good friends with him and stuff like that. And I'm sure I rang them last last year. It was to see if them had seen type of thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think when people saw the Avicii um, aftermath, one of the main things that came out was the same one as when Robin Williams passed away. Yeah, which is. You have someone who appears to have everything going on. They have their shit together. They have a life that most people dream of, et cetera, et cetera. But look, this is what can happen. Mm -hmm. And as tragic as it is, one thing that I do think is a, a positive that can be taken from those situations is that normal people who deal with levels of anxiety or depression or dark dark days and, and dark thoughts, they get recentered on the fact, well, hang on, if this guy who's a world-famous DJ who's making millions, selling millions of records, known around the world, all this stuff, if he can feel depressed in his situation, in that yeah. life, it, it makes you feel more justified yeah. a little bit in yeah. the way that you feel. Yeah. So do you think in in the DJ community that depression and mental health is something that is should be looked after a little bit yeah, more? Yeah, completely, yeah. I mean, um, I don't know that much on the matter and I've never watched the whole documentary but by all accounts Tim's manager was meant to be a bit of a, a pushy guy I've never seen it now of our mate um, just what I've seen and stuff like that so I can't really comment on that but okay. I do think the whole mental health and I do think it's now like coming to like the front of things you see a lot of articles I mean DJ Mag Mix Mag have, have done a lot of spreads on on the whole mental health issues within the industry. I know Luciano was really bad. Marillo was really bad. I mean, even at the start of the year, it wasn't that I'd hit some sort of depression or anything like that, but I felt like I was losing my mind because I'd came back from tour and I just couldn't adjust back to normality. It wasn't like normal life. I just couldn't get around the jet lag. And I do suffer quite bad with it. So you're talking three, four days with absolutely no sleep whatsoever. And I remember <laughs> I was sat there watching like the shopping channel because that's all that's on at five in the morning. And so I'm sat there and there's just different things coming on. And I'm sat going, the gel I use on my hair is shit, right? So I'm like, right, okay. And I'm sat ordering things off eBay that are popping up like different like feather dusters and all that for the house, right? And honestly, right, I'll go through it all. And I went... Out of the house because the my gel was shit, right? And I went to Asda. This is at like five in the morning. Sat on the floor in Asda in the hair product aisle, trying out every foot. And honestly, mate, my hair was claggy as fuck, right? And so then I fucking got up, walked off, didn't know why I was there, went and picked up 84 dishwasher tablets and a massive, like, big bit of uh, broccoli and checked out, right? So if any of the staff had been watching me, they must have thought... He is out his mind. Right? So I got out and I was like, what the fuck am I doing with this? So I got home and I was telling, and all the lads were like in hysterics. I started ordering dream catchers and stuff like that. I'm like, not into that shit whatsoever. And I remember speaking with uh, one of the lads, Mally, and you know, when you order off eBay, it comes onto your calendar on your mm -hmm. iPhone, all the products which are coming. And he scrolled down, there was over a hundred stuff on order coming. And honestly, mate, the, like my porch area in my house was just full of stuff getting posted through from eBay. And I was like, what the fuck am I ordering? Yeah, I was ordering like T-shirts and stuff. Like that was the most normal stuff. But I must have just been guessing sizes because there were like proper boob tubes and everything like that. And it was mad. So I was like starting to lose it a bit. 
and I was going on like nighttime drives and like this voice in my head started coming more and more and it was kind of like the only way you're going to go to sleep is by smashing your car that lorry across there or things like that and that's when I started thinking fucking hell like there's something wrong so I spoke to my mum went to the doctors and the doctors had said like look what's kind of the sleep deprivation is kind of making you go a bit delusional type mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. so they put me on some sleeping tablets which actually had an antidepressant built into it Okay, and that makes you crash before it brings you back up so I was feeling lows up and then I had like some antipsychotic drug as well to try and condense the voices. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was on them for a couple of months and then I remember I was in Miami in March and you're still trying to take them when you're on tour because your body's kind of become used to them. Mm-hmm. And on, on tour, you hit that many different time zones like you don't know if you've taken one one day or not type of thing. And I just remember sat in Miami and I was like, I don't need them whatsoever. And I've just trained my mind to, look, you, you're jet lagged. You know what I mean? Just sit and deal with it. Get some sleep when you can sleep. And like Rennie and all them coached me through that. You've got to learn to sleep when your body's telling you to sleep type of thing. If you're up all night, then you're up all night. You don't, because you know what it's like if you can't sleep and you're sitting there and you're telling yourself, oh, I've only got an hour before I start work. You're not going to sleep in that hour mm-hmm. because you're going to tell yourself for that whole hour <laughs> that you've got to go to sleep in the hour. Mm-hmm. And then like you're shutting your eyes and you're like, oh, I'm going to sleep in for work and it all just gets on top of you but on top of that in the DJ world I mean everyone out there knows how much drugs is kicking about in the DJ world and how many DJs are actually involved in it and stuff like that and if that's what they want to do then let them do it type of thing but of course that whole come down area is going to mess with people's mind alcohol's a depressant as it is there's so much free alcohol when you DJ at every single party, whether even you're playing them or not, you know what I mean? I could go and see a DJ, for instance, like on Saturday, Denny's playing Cosmic. I'm already speaking on uh, like on Twitter earlier on. I might pop down and see him. Ben Nicky's up next uh, next week. Who's, I don't even, like, I'm not into his music. Not that I don't like it. It's just mm-hmm. not my thing. Mm-hmm. He's already right. We're going to get absolutely hammered and stuff he's, like that. He's got a reputation. Yeah. Oh, he loves it, mate. He's a great kid, but... Like, you'll go to their gigs and it's all free alcohol there, so you're going to guzzle it all because it's free, you know what I mean? So once it gets on that and then you're rolling into days, your mind just starts going and it's good to see that people are picking up on the the fact that these young kids are involved in the world and the thrust from basically nothing into playing in millions across the year, you know what I mean? With loads of money, loads of free things... And they just get flown around and of course that they're going to get involved in this world that is essentially going to really mess with their heads type of thing, you know what I mean? And even going to a gig and playing in front of, even if you play in front of a few hundred people, going back to your hotel room on your own, you crash, mate, like massively. Why? Because you've been so high, everyone's been there loving it, you're doing your thing, you're loving the music that you're playing, everyone out there is really enjoying it, like you, you leave so happy that you want to sit there and talk about it and, and then you go back to a lonely hotel room and it's just pitch black with no music on and it takes a while. I mean, even off just working in bars, people who work behind the bar will take an hour or two to shut down when they get in if the music's been blasting all night. Just the, the needs that time for the brain to switch off. So when you've been like the one who's creating that atmosphere, you're, you're so happy, but then you've got no one to talk about it and you're just like, oh, I'm back on my own again. You know what I mean? And then you've got to pick yourself up to go out the next day to be like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And it's just constant peaks and troughs. And 
it, it's just hard to, to keep on top of at times, you know what I mean? And I think like the whole Luciano thing, he was saying that he got massively involved in drugs and things like that. And that's probably the, the main antagonist of it all. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, mate, I'm glad to see that it is like, re- like there's a lot of attention getting paid on it. But I don't think it's just needs to be spoke about within the DJ world. I think it's the world over type of thing. People need to, to understand that this is, it's, it's a major thing going on. In, in 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 everybody, do you know what I mean? Well, even though other people might not be doing flights around the world and playing a DJ gig and then coming back to be yeah. on their own, there's people who might live with a partner that the relationship's degenerating, yeah. or they might be in a you know someone a, a young person who doesn't get on with their parents or has a dysfunctional household yeah. or someone who does live on their own. The same mechanism that you're yeah. talking about, which is impacting on DJs, which is maybe being catalyzed by higher highs and then some substances and other things as well. It's that same mechanism. It's yeah. that same module in the back of our minds. Humans desire connection, yeah. but health, wealth, and happiness. And yeah. Without all of those things working in harmony, you end up with a dysfunctional human. Oh, without a doubt, mate. And I, th- like, I speak to a lot of people and all like, you know, like some of the lads and things like that, and they'll go like, oh, you've got a mint life and and I'm in an unhappy job and stuff like that. And I try and encourage them, just like, if you are unhappy in life, then leave it. Do you know what I mean? You can't put a price on happiness. So if you're like, not leave life, like <laughs> leave your job type of thing or something like that, you know, like you've got to figure out what it is bringing you down, whether it's a relationship that you're in, your job or whatever like that, the, the area that you're living in. Do you know what I mean? It can all be sorted if you just sit there and kind of figure out a plan of, of what you're going to do. But a lot of people just, they don't, they don't want to like challenge it. I mean, that's talking from experience from my friends type of thing. They just want to, and they'd rather sit back and, and, and accept what's going on. And I'm just like, you're going to look back and, and regret it. Do you know what I mean? You really are. But I mean, there's nothing that can't be solved. And I'm a true believer in that. Like if they come and speak to me and things like that, you know, like we can sit there and we can talk about it and we can get through everything that is causing an issue with them. Uh, and, you know, like it, it, a lot of it is just like the jobs, the lives and things like that. But I also tell them that what you're looking at when I'm posting things on Instagram or Twitter or whatever like that is a load of fucking shit. Do you know what I mean? It's to give off that you are living this amazing life. And you're not. And I'll, I'm like on the phone to you all the time saying I'm bored out my mind. And like, as I say, Colombia or Orlando or LA or something like that. Do you know what I mean? Waiting to be picked up. You know, I'm sat here on my own type of thing. It's not like, look at me, I'm I'm playing in front of this amount of people type of thing. That's just two hours of that one day type of thing. It's never but a you're, selfie of you on your own in the hotel room in the dark. You're, right? not, yeah. you're not getting a selfie of me anywhere, mate. Yeah, that's that's true. You're not a selfie guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. But like that's, and I think that is, it's a major thing with the whole of society. They do believe that what these people are posting on social media is their actual life, and it's not. Well, the problem is that there's an asymmetry between what we see of other people and what we know of ourselves, right? So I get to see the best of everybody else's life while I watch mine unfold Mm -hmm. from a front row seat that gets to see all of my blunders. Yeah. All of them. The That time that you tried to, 
chat up the waitress and you looked silly and <laughs> that time that you uh, like didn't think that you looked very like cool when you stepped out of the door or that time where you didn't feel very confident when whatever like all of those things everybody that is listening has a front row seat to you watch it through your own eyes yeah. whether you want to or not yeah however everybody else you get this curated very polished very embellished yes. social media feed uh-huh. and the problem is that we forget that everybody else is just as idiotic and just as stupid and just as insecure as we are. Yeah. Everybody is. Everyone, as Alain de Botton calls it, everybody is eternally flawed. Yeah. And that is human nature. It is, a, it is the beautiful part of human nature because it is the one thing that makes us all the same. Yeah. It's the fact that all of us are fairly messed up in one way or another. We all have our demons that we need to bear. Some people have some that are really bad and some people, uh, you know, fortunately haven't. But everyone should be... Everyone should be sympathetic and empathetic to the rest of humanity because we're all carrying these sorts of curses, right? fully agree. Yeah. I don't know. I I think it's interesting to hear the stories of someone who is in who is in this world and from the outside looking in, obviously it's such a aspiration. This is what thousands, probably tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of DJs around the world. Yeah. That's what they want. They yeah. want that life oh, on yeah. the road. Yeah, of course. But if they saw the reality of yeah. what, they, what yeah, it actually yeah, yeah. consists of, is yeah. that what they want? I always say like to a lot of the lads that there's no chance that them could do it. A couple of them have came away for a weekend and turned on and said, there's absolutely no chance I could do your job. Like, none whatsoever. You tell them the routine and you tell them, as I was saying earlier, when I flew from Colombia and I got up on the Thursday morning, I knew from the Thursday morning that I wasn't getting to bed until I got, like, like asleep at night in a proper bed. When I say getting to bed, obviously you're picking up a couple of hours on yeah. a six-hour flight around South America, but you weren't getting to bed properly overnight until the Monday night in Ibiza. So from I know the them are behind time, but that's from the Thursday morning stepping out of bed that that was the last time you were sleeping overnight in a bed comfortable until the Monday night. And you tell that to your mates <laughs> and they're just like, no chance. <laughs> yeah, you can keep your job. I need my nine hours. Yeah, exactly, mate. So, I mean, people don't see that. People just honestly just see you playing in front of X amount of people, a track that you've released doing well or whatever like that. And it, they look at that side of things. You know what I mean? And a lot of people, and I don't even like the word, it's like the look at, like the fame side of things. Do you know what I mean? And I don't like it because this isn't what, I, like that's not what I do the job for. I don't class myself as famous. Never once thought I am and never ever will type of thing. I just, I'm a daft lad from Newcastle who's been lucky enough to to follow his dream and is living out his dream type of thing and does a job that he wants to do. And I keep telling myself that because 99% of the population doesn't get to do that. You know what I mean? They're stuck in a job that they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I've just been lucky enough to do what I want to do. And it's just, it's allowing me to see the world. It's allowing me to do this. But the people who want to do that don't actually understand like the hard work that goes into it. Like my nephew, he's really talented when it comes to music. And he's like, oh, I want to do this. I want it. And I've said, I'll teach you how to DJ. It's not a problem, mate. Do you know what I mean? But the, the 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 part that you can't teach is like being strong to to make sure you get up 
for the flight in the morning to mm-hmm. make sure you're not missing it, to make sure that you are hitting every single gig and smashing them type of thing, mm-hmm. to make sure you are on point to everyone, you're not coming across as ignorant or arrogant or anything like that, when really it is you're just a bit tired or you're a bit down or something like that because you've been away from your family and friends for the past six weeks type of thing and mm. no one sees that side of it. And I don't think you can teach people that either. The only thing that you can actually do is probably take them on tour with people, which is just going to cost money, you know. Yeah. Fucking greedy woman. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not paying. Yeah. Do you think that there is a balanced way to do DJ tour life? Do you yeah, think that doubt. there is? Yeah. So it's doubt. not a lost cause? Nah. Okay. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, I know... A lot of DJs. Patrick goes teetotal for a while. Camel Fat goes teetotal for a while. Eric goes teetotal for a while. Um, Luciano does. Marilla, like the all. And I think what you need is you need maybe that one time where you just completely are like ran down into the ground. Do you think that your hair products and broccoli story might be that? Maybe, but it has to get worse than that. <laughs> yeah. If it, if there's a lower low than sat in the middle of Asda with broccoli and hair products, <laughs> I, I really I, I fear for you. I, I, the thing is, though, I don't know if I could ever go teetotal. Not because I love the drink too much. Yeah. Uh, I need drink to get in on, the vibe. Yeah, to, not to get on stage, to get in that booth. Okay, I need a drink because I do suffer really badly with nerves. Mm. So I need that, and it's a bit of Dutch courage. Like sometimes I've played gigs and like I'm being sick like seconds before going on stage type of thing mm. because of the nerves are too much. And if you watch, like there's anyone who's close to me like will understand what I'm saying. If you if you could see my hand, I'm like that trying to put the USB in. <laughs> and then I'll stand there and I'll cough. I'll never ever get a cough. I don't smoke, never had a cigarette in my life. So like for me to have a cough or anything like that, I've got to have to have a cold or a flu, which I only get them after tours type of thing. So I'm stood there and I start coughing mid gig and things like that it's because I'm like I'm nervous. And you'll see he's looking around and and like my ex girlfriend was saying that she would always look and you could she said I knew when you would get nervous I knew when you start to panic because you look around the crowd and I look for someone who I know just to look back and give me some sort of like reassurance. And I was always looking for her. She said, I used to like be like, he needs to see us. So this was, so was just a little yes. dot like that, <laughs> like waving about to see us type of thing. And she was right, yeah, you do need that. Um, and that that's why I don't think I could ever stop fully drinking. But yeah, there is there is that area where you can just do just drink moderately. There's a balance. Like, yeah, maybe have a month off and a few weeks on type of thing. Time off is perfect. It's perfect. I mean, nearly every DJ produces now, so they need that time off to write the music. In that time off, like what I do is hammer the gym so I get in a routine. I find the gym is great for my mentality and it's great for the product, uh, like productivity type of thing. And um, it just makes me, it just, I, I don't know, you know about it a lot more than me. It releases all the endorphins and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me feel really good about myself type of thing. Dragging yourself there. Is the hardest thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the start of this week, it's been my first week in six weeks. And I was just like, oh, I don't want to go. Mm-hmm. But luckily enough, I, I trained with one of my best mates. And so we go and he was like, just come along. Even if it's just for something light, mm-hmm. it'll get you back in the routine of it. And I'm just fully in the routine type of thing now. So when you're off, if you do that, you eat well. If you constantly eat shit, it's going to bring you down type of thing. And you're still in that rut as mm-hmm. such. And then 
you bring yourself, and you just be the healthiest version that you can be and you go away on like on tour and I mean if I run myself into the ground I run myself into the ground Sven Vaff's like by all accounts I've never met Sven but he's meant to like hammer it for 11 months and then for one month or two months at the start of the year goes away to Switzerland to a retreat sits on a drip transfusion yeah. or something mm-hmm. an entire blood yeah. transfusion and gets all his yeah. blood cleaned I would say Solomon does it because that bloke is a machine. Is he a savage? Mate. Who's who's hardest part here in all the DJing? Um, <laughs> other than Christoph, <laughs> I'll just be laughing with Dave from Camelfat just before I came in. You know, uh, about Barlow from James Barlow from Solado. Okay, he he hits it hard. <laughs> He's just funny as hell. It almost looks like uh, Paul Fisher does, but. Oh my he, god! He's quite. He's switched on me. He's a clever. He's a yeah, clever guy. He's switched on anyone who is not following Fisher on Instagram yeah. or Snapchat. I don't know if he does Snapchat as well. His Instagram stories increase me. Oh my god! But I would probably say people that hit it hard. Uh, Solomon has to man. Why, mate? He goes forever at after parties. <laughs> not seen that video of him DJing on someone's ironing board in the middle of a kitchen in Melbourne. No, <laughs> mate, he's there for like eleven or twelve hours, man. Just on the ironing board, aye, mate. Like, <laughs> it's just mental, man. Like, what about crazy. the what about those like Italian DJs like Danny Tanaglia and people like that, like that play like f- like monster hours sets. sets? I'm sure Capriati's just broke the record for it over in uh, in Romania. I think it was at that Sunrise Festival, right? Um, He's Which played is, some ridi- savage uh, days long set or something. Like thirty six or something. Or was it twenty eight? Something oh like that. Something like for a solo set. Something ridiculous. What a savage! But by all accounts, he stood there and he's eating pasta while he's DJing. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> and I know, like when uh, Martinez brothers and all that, them do a massive monster thing in in Miami every year, and them get pizza delivered to the club and stuff like that. So they stood in the DJ booth eating pizza and stuff like that. That's Which awesome. is good crack. I think. Like, yeah, it's good. But. The, the, just, I don't know. I I like really into all that. Like I follow like people who do massive long sets because mm-hmm. I know for well you've been back at mine. Mm-hmm. I've probably broke some of them. Sat like some of them records yeah, yeah. just sat in my studio know, teaching yeah. until know, Sunday from the Friday or something like that. But I just don't realise what day it is when I shut the curtains. Yeah, I'm all right. You're just cracking on. Yeah. Interesting what you said about the fact that the the balance that you can get comes from some very basic things, right? Mm-hmm. So you're talking yeah. about making sure your sleep's right, your nutrition, yeah. having some sort of exercise, having some sort of routine, having some sort of sleep and wake cycle. Yeah. Um, and I was discussing this in Dusseldorf yesterday with a big group of people in a sales floor, and they've got this really highly charged sales floor, very, very high pressure. A lot of them were saying they struggled to turn off when they go home. And downstream from that, some of them were maybe feeling a little bit down and they had some some twinges of depression and anxiety and stuff like that. And I was like, you would be so surprised to find out how the strongest, most capable people on the planet can get absolutely annihilated by bad diet, messed up sleep and not enough sunlight. Yeah. Like it's not, I think because of the way that um, social media, that mental health originally was a little bit stigmatized now there is this it's okay to talk campaign and stuff like that, which is going on, which half of me likes. Half of me likes the fact that there is a social campaign which encourages people to dis- to openly discuss mental health problems. The other half of me feels like y- campaigns like that 
draw attention to it in a way which still I highlights that it is a stigma. Yeah. Like that by saying it's okay to talk, it's like, yeah. no, no, just talk. Like I ask you what you had for breakfast. You don't think, oh, well, should I talk about what I actually had for breakfast oh, or I... should I say that I had something else? Yeah. Part of, and obviously it's a lot more difficult for us to mandate the fact that, like, how do you say everybody just be cool with the fact that some people have down like periods where they feel a bit sad. That's quite difficult to actually advertise. Right. Yeah. So the it's okay to talk thing. I, I, I do get, and I do make sense. But if the strongest people, the best performers on the planet can get taken down by poor food, poor sleep, poor training, poor nutrition, of course you can as well. And what happens is you manage to simulate or bring on some sort of psychosis yeah. Through jet jet lag yeah. and, and some South American food. Yeah. And and a bit a bit of DJing, like and a, and, and some beers. Mm-hmm. Like if that's happening to you, like you know, look at someone who's not managed to get themselves out of bed or have a good sleep and wake cycle for a couple of months. Yeah. And doesn't have any friends, it doesn't have any real sort of connection and things like that. Like, of course that's gonna take them down. Of course, mate. But the the thing that I think is liberating about this discussion, and there's a great book which is called um it's by a guy called Johan Hari called Lost Connections. Right. And uh, Johan's going to come on eventually. I've said this to the listeners at home. I have said this for 18 months, but I promise you I'm going to get him. He is still in my Instagram inbox. Uh, Lost Connections, and he identifies a whole bunch of different uh, causes of depression, right, that are environmental, not biological. And in those, so many of them are fixable. It's like, make sure that you get some sunlight. Make sure that you see some nature. Make sure that you've got someone to talk to. Make sure you've got some work that's meaningful, that you eat right, that you um, deal with any childhood trauma. I cu- and you're like, none of these, I thought it was this problem that was mine to bear, mm-hmm. that it's like this very unique curse that was bestowed on me and it's this problem which only I have. And then you look back and you're like, hang on a second. I had fast food for a week and I, I, I got four hours sleep at a time maximum. Yeah. Might have been that. Yeah. Might not have been, I'm weird, there's something dysfunctional yeah. or wrong with me. It might just be that I'm not giving myself the foundation to then have a, a normal, productive, functional life off the yeah. top of. Yeah. And it, it sounds like DJing on the road is a little bit like the perfect storm. Yeah. To Completely create that. Mate. Completely, mate. It really, really is. Really is. I mean, as I say, traveling on your own is not going to help whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just even just going through security day after day in airports. You're, like, you're sick oh of it. Oh, my God. It's just like... Do you ever sometimes think that you might not go through the the scanner so that they'll do a rectal exam just so you get a bit of human contact? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I've just got a face which sends us through anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's... Uh, I've got a, like a waiver on, on my visa for America... So I've got to go through into secondary immigration there, which takes ages getting into the country. And then he sat there. And they're all dead sound, they're all really sound. And then some of them want to go through your suitcase. So they'll pull everything out. Then they just leave it for you to pack it. And it's kind of like, if that person isn't friendly, whether you're going through security or through secondary immigration, it pisses you off from day one. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Set that tone. But, yeah. But look, and that can really aid to the way you're feeling and things like that, then you'll get on a plane, and the plane food will be shit, you'll sit there, and you're getting food turbulent, and your whole day is just like, this is just the fucking worst Whatever. day ever. Yeah. Do you, do you always fly in 
like good class, like uh, the long distance ones. Are nice, yeah. nice class. Yeah, long yeah. distance, and we do try and get for the um, the shorter ones to get in it if there isn't like a business class area as such. Uh, we do try and get like emergency exit just because I've got a, a bad lower back. Mm. One of my good friends I is bet you have. Yeah. I've been on planes all this much. One, uh, one of my good friends is a chiropractor, just basically around the corner, mm-hmm. and um, he's. Kind of, he's he's helped a lot, yeah. but he says I need to work on it a lot. But because you're not here for a good length of time, it's, it's pretty hard because every work that I'm doing is just resetting itself. Yeah, undone. Yeah, so he's kind of like you need to get as much space. I mean, if you think about it, you start bending over. DJ Yeah. Well, I've got a guy. The listeners will know Dr. Stuart McGill, who's the world's world's leading expert on back pain. Right. I went to go see him in Canada. He's yeah. The guy that uh, fixed George St. Pierre. Oh, the he's, he's NFL, NHL, NBA, MMA, everything. Best guys on the planet. Yeah. I'll put you in touch. You'd love to work yeah, with him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's a hero. Yeah, um, nice one. And, but yeah, you know, these sort of little physiological, psychological effects. And you're like, oh, well, you're just going on a plane for a bit. It's like, well, yeah, fine. Like that, that's great in a normal person's world like mine, where I, I yesterday I got, I went to Dusseldorf and back in a day. Um, which is the only thing, weirdly enough, the day before we do this, the only <laughs> thing that I can actually kind of start to link in with what you do. Yeah. So it's four flights, but they were 45 minutes each. Yeah. And there was a little bit of moving around and going yeah. through connections and stuff like that. And even that, I was like, this is fucking shit. Yeah. Do you, have you got like airplane hacks or like have you got your favourite way of going through um, airports or have you got your favourite areas just, in airports it's, that you it's, always go it's to? Just, Luckily enough, when you're flying um, like that much, you do get cards for all the lounges. Like my Amex card, which is a business card, can get us in a, a lot of priority lounges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a like a gold member in BA, so that can get us in any BA lounge, which is kicking around. Who's collecting your air miles? You? It's somewhere. So, I, uh, I've got I've got them all on the BA app somewhere. And then, um, You'll be able to buy a house. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I honestly do not understand how they work. I mean, either. I don't. Honestly, my brother-in-law, he's got loads on BA and he keeps, he's like, oh yeah, I got that hotel on, or I got that flight on the, in the miles. I'm like, I don't understand it. Just seeing with the Amex so plane. circumnavigating the globe yeah. on a monthly basis. So I th- like, what were the, what they were saying about the Amex ones is I've got to call up and say, look, so kind of, if I was to take someone, say on that, the, the next long tour, yeah. I could like ring Amex and say, can you give me a price using me points type of thing mm-hmm. on this flight, on these flights type of thing and, mm-hmm. s- and see what can come up? But I really don't know how it all works, mate. Mm-hmm. I really don't. And I'm not interested in finding out, mm-hmm. in all honesty. I'm so you're getting, you, you've managed to make flying as comfortable as you can, though, I'm yes. going to guess. You're yeah. Uh, my sister told us about this game on <laughs> iPhones. Uh, it's called Woodblock or something like that. It's kind of like Tetris. Okay. But like harder. Okay. And it winds me up something rotten. <laughs> so I'm sat there, and before I know it, I'm like three hours deep into a flight, and I'm just playing this game constantly. The, 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 you've got to like really charge your phone, or I've got a, <laughs> oh uh, like a carry-on case, which has got it like uh, one of them like battery like built into a type thing, which you can take out, like the lithium battery. Mm-hmm. So I'll sit and have that fully charged, army phone fully charged, and go on the plane. Nailed just Woodstock that, or yeah. And there's that strike hero as well, oh, which is kind of like... You're a footballer and you've just got to like draw the path of the ball on the feet. And I, I was just sitting there obsessed with me. I'll get in there like for four or five hours. If you're flying around America, a lot of the planes have got Wi-Fi, um, Wi-Fi on or like uh, like TVs. 
and the selection's brilliant. Mm. Really is across there. You never tempted to try and produce on the plane. I do a lot if I'm if got good space, but a lot of the time, if like yeah, if you're in the business in business area, it's sound. You know what I mean. You've got your own area to sit and put the the, the laptop on. Mm. But if you're putting it on the table in front of you, because if you've got it on your lap, you're looking like that. Your neck's pulling. It's killing you straight away. So you'll put it on the table and. No matter who you are, the person in front of you must get a, like a sixth sense to put the seat back as soon as you put a laptop on there. Both puts it back, nearly slams it down, so you're trying to produce like that. So I do, when I'm on the road, I do more of it in a hotel room than I do on the plane. And I'll just sit and watch Modern Family. Netflix is now a thing where you can sit and watch it on there, so I'm trying to get into that Mind Hunter and stuff like that on there. Good. Yeah, it's really, really good. Um, New series of Top Boys coming out at the moment as well. Yeah, I've seen that. I've never watched any of them, but it's been good. I've just been told one, uh, and I've just watched the first episode. This is on the BBC One. It's called, um, it's about the soldier who has killed someone, like Taliban. Okay. And he got put in jail for it because he said it was like in cold blood but then he's just been let out and I've just watched the first one and real story no no and, yeah and he's kind of just got with his barrister and then his barrister's been assaulted and the police are saying it, it's like it's, it looks like a really cool story I can't right. remember what it's what what it's called uh, it looks like a really really good one like another good. one where you've got to think if you if you end up finding I don't know like become like a Star Trek fan yeah. if there's ever a day I don't I think you're fairly safe from this being the case but if you ever got really into sci-fi and you didn't speak to anyone except for DJ for like a couple of weeks, yeah. you'd turn into like a proper Comic-Con, like oh, Star Trek yeah, Trekkie or yeah. something. Oh, I'd be mate. worried. Honestly, that... Uh, Come back and think you were a Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> that Stranger Things are one that gets me, man. Oh, yeah. I've like finished the third series. Like, it took me a while to get through it with all the travelling. The first two series I watched like within a day type of thing. I watched the first one just all off. And the second one, as soon as that got released, I sat in. Mm. And I remember we had a, like me and my ex-girlfriend was sat there. And this Irish lad had flown across to watch me play, I think it was with Sasha. And he came on his own and he tweeted saying that he was across on his own. I was like, I'm not letting you stay in this, like my city on your own. Mm. So I drove to his hotel, picked him up, took him out for food with me and the promoters and all that beforehand. He sat there like this, Mate. had him backstage with all the lads, took him back to mine for an after party, then just said he can stay here. So we sat up and stuff like that. And then the next day he was meant to get on the fight. I was like, get the later one. And we sat and watched Stranger Things, got like dominoes in. And he, he was just sat there like that all through the day. Then I ran him up to the airport and he's became like a really good friend. He does a lot of work for my socials and that now. Um, what an unbelievable story. So yeah, he's, he's, he's a lovely kid. I was just like, you're not sitting in your castle on your own, mate. If you've flown over on your own, I'm going to make sure you have the best, like, your best time here. But... Yeah, it took me a while to get through the third series, but as soon as it finished, I just went straight to the studio and wrote three tracks just like that. Did you? The inspiration it gives me is just it's just really strange. It's Stranger Things quite sort of it's spooky the, and what it, it's yeah, very it's, very soundscape. Yeah, I, lo- as I well, love right? all that, but it's the tension in those scenes with Eleven in that the mind flare thing. And I just sit there and it just you can just create like some mad stuff in your head and I'm like, right, I know exactly what I'm gonna go and do here. Yeah. And you make or get all those darker sounds and stuff like that and then off you go. Have you got any restriction now? So obviously one of the things first off, I, I don't know what I would want to make. Uh-huh. But secondly, if I did, I couldn't make it. Right. Is there any restriction now from what is in your mind to what comes out of the speakers or what goes into the nah, the stuff? Nah, so nah. you can make whatever the yeah. sound is like you we've, want. Uh, We've actually been out and um, like left on a night out, or for instance, we've all went back and all the lads are like, "How oh, well, about we'll write something in the studio?" 
and I'm like, I'm sick of writing like house techno vibes. Do you know what I mean? I want to, uh, I'll write something different. And I was just, I said to one of the kids, I was just like, what's big at the minute? And one of the lads who was out with was like, oh, Drake. So I had to listen to one of Drake's tracks and I was just like, right, give us 10 minutes and sat there and had a drum loop straight away going. And, I'm like, and I was just like, the bass lines are piss easy. Sat like that and I had this loop going of like, fucking, like, it's fucking. You just dissected yeah. Drake's tracks. And someone was like, well, so you go on and you can buy like silly little hip hop vocals and things like that off. So I had it and we've like created this three and a half minute hip hop track. <laughs> then we've all got it in the cars and stuff like that. <laughs> I sit there and I'll write like down tempo stuff. Um, so I remember I put something on a, on my Facebook a while ago and uh, there's a producer from down Liverpool he popped up and said there's a pop producer dying to get out of you I'm telling you mate mm. maybe this, an angle which I might look at in the future I was going to say would, would you ever be interested in doing something like that or I remember um, I can't remember the film but Dead Mouse did the entire soundtrack for a film only yeah. within the last couple of years yeah I mean I'm good friends with uh, Dirty South if you remember him mm-hmm. Australian guy unbelievable he's, he's, not, he's from Eastern Europe somewhere but he lives in Australia now in Melbourne and he sounds like he scores a lot of a lot of films do you know what I mean mm. I think there's a lot of sound engineering yeah. and stuff like that and he, he'll just just write it from start to finish all the score for the for films and stuff would like that, that be something maybe yeah, in the longer term fucking serious money in it isn't that I bet there is yeah. there's no on the road either yeah, you'd be bored exactly. as hell wouldn't oh, you that'd be sick I'll probably just throw the project I, mean, I can't do it <laughs> sorry guys yeah, I need to be on an airplane take your money back yeah, exactly. yeah. so uh What's next? What's happening? What's the rest of 2019 going in store for you? Uh, so for the next couple of weeks, I'll be sat in the studio, probably catching up with friends when I can get them out, um, family and stuff like that. Probably just hitting a few bars in town. And then, uh, as I say, just hammering the studio. I want to get, when's my next gig? Beginning of October. That gives me two. I want to get maybe four or five tracks ready for the beginning of October for I've got two gigs down in Wales. Um so I want to get some, about four or five tracks ready for them to test out. Then I've got another two weeks off which is while ADE's on. Never ever go that it's just Have you ever been? Crazy. Yeah loads. Okay. Um it's just it's always just too mad. <laughs> like just really too mad, mad for you. Says yeah, a lot that doesn't it? Yeah. It's just I just find it mad. Um and then I go Cross to America, as I say, then come straight back to Manchester, then straight on to India, then to New Zealand, Australia, Bali, Australia, then back and do Leeds, Liverpool, and then come back home. Mm-hmm. And that takes me to the beginning of December. So I'm going to have to get a lot of music prepared for them, mm-hmm. even if it's just ideas ready to pencil to finish on the road or whatever like that. I'll start a lot on the road and I'll finish that again through December. Where are you then, for New Year? People want to see you play this New Year. Have you released it yet? I haven't released it, so all I'm okay. saying is America. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, I'm across there for, for for then. And then the phone call before we started off, Rene was basically saying that I'm across there for New Year, then I come back. Then I'm across the Dominican Republic to do, like, do this thing across America called Holy Ship. Yeah, I've seen it. It's a huge cruise yeah. line, a festival. Yeah, and now they've changed it to, like, holy... Sh- or go ship, and they've changed it to go ship wrecked or holy ship wrecked. So now actually on land, which is a five-day party in an all-inclusive resort in Dominican Republic, and they're <laughs> sending the likes of me, Scream, and people like that. <laughs> so, Do you think you'll come back? 
What if we lose know, you? I'll probably get a job behind the bar somewhere. If you're stuck in the Dominican Republic, sound by me. It fucking looks lush. So, uh, so yeah, I'm down there, and then I see, it looks like straight from that, I'm straight up into America, around America. And uh, he was saying there that I could be away. I think it's for like six weeks because it's going to take all the way through February into March. And then it's Miami in March, so I may as well be over there. So I could well be away from January till the end of March type of thing. Which would be cool. It's better places than, well, it's like uh, worse places, sorry, than America, isn't it? To, Absolutely. To, to be based for a bit. And then release-wise, there's, I mean, I'm sat on so much music, mate, like ridiculous amount. New stuff or remixes, bootlegs? Yeah, uh, I've done a re- enough remixes for the year, yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Um, I've, seen a, I've seen a lot recently yeah. of edits and stuff like that. Yeah, that so... Um, now this is all like brand new originals so I think the next one could be maybe a two track EP we'll I was going to say because back in the day a lot of your releases were centred around or at least when kind of Pepsi and, and Guffers and stuff like mm-hmm. that were coming out a lot of them were centred around two trackers four yes. trackers eight yeah. trackers uh-huh. it's been at least in terms of what I see more singles yes. recently yeah. have you got a, would you ever do like a full album or something I like would that? I mean I would went to the team and I would spoke about doing maybe like another kind of conceptual album project, maybe nine tracks or even three releases of five. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So it's like 15 tracks that I'm putting out and at the end of the 15, I'll do like a huge, like continuous mix. Mm-hmm. But also in between the mixes, I'll do kind of like, I'll, I'll add synth work in there to make it just a one-off performance type of thing. So people have got this mix, but at this moment in time, singles are the ones which are performing best and that's what they perform best on on the likes of Beatport which promoters and people are going off mm-hmm. so if you're constantly getting to number one which a lot of my releases are on the prog charts it's good like yeah if you release a three tracker it goes into more of the release charts and people mm-hmm. buy the release as a whole rather than specific tracks I don't fully understand that side of things that's me management telling me what's going on mm-hmm. Then, I mean, it's Eric and, like, our manager, Mick, who is saying, like, release one track at a time. It's coming out on a label which is owned by Eric. I'll be <laughs> like, kind of I boss, kind yeah. of trust you, mate, yeah. so it's all good. So, yeah, I am looking at other labels, and there's other labels out there which I want to work with. I would love to release on Solomon's label, Dynamic. Um, I mean, I've already done Sasha's and Digweeds, which was a big target of mine. Um, what's left anything any other ones like if probably you, just Solomon's maybe to be honest with you yeah cool well if you're listening Solomon aye get us on big lad have a crack <laughs> man it's been fantastic yeah man. I really, really appreciate has, it yeah. it's been awesome got to catch up man next time you're here let me know uh, anyone who wants to follow you online where should they head uh, Twitter and Instagram is Christoph Music I'm sure Facebook's Christoph Music uh, and SoundCloud is Christoph Music as well but you spell Christoph C-R-I S-T-O-P-H I think a lot of it people misspell it and stuff like that there's a whole number of ways that people can ruin your <laughs> artist name isn't yeah there? I think it goes to auto like autocorrect on iPhones and things like that and oh, it God. adds an H after the C that's what I keep telling myself anyways. yeah I know that'll be it <laughs> anyway man thank you so much for your time it's been Brilliant, an absolute mate. pleasure thank you very much Cheers. mate